Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Uh, I really am asking the Holy Spirit to allow my words to penetrate as far as this simple but so important issue. Um, I want change towards the kingdom to be very, very relevant and true in my life. I, I, that's my longing, is to draw as close to Christ as I possibly can while I'm still alive on this planet. And I hope you understand that, of course, that's my desire for every single one of you. And I mean, I really, that's the heart and the depth of my prayers every morning. But one of the one of the things that has to happen is there has to be a real conversion in your thought process as far as why you come here on a Sunday. And what I mean is we, you, we have to kind of get beyond I'm coming to church. There needs to be that something that's so intimately alive in your spirit that you realize I'm going to personally, I'm going to come to the gathering of those who want to be near to Christ this morning. I want to come to Him. I want to come and be part and parcel of what the kingdom of God is doing in this group. I want to be part of the solution to the world's problems. I mean, I really do. And I want every single one of you, and you know, you have to have, well, the Bible says, have the mind. Have that mind that was in Christ Jesus, right? Have the mind. Have that mind that was in Christ Jesus. Every morning when he awoke, he woke with a sense of purpose. And I'm longing for every single one of you when you wake up, not to just wake up going, oh my God, but that you wake up and go, God, first, Father, foremost, Jesus, my Prince of Peace, my King, my Lord. I, I just long for that to really begin to take place in great depth in every one of you because that's the essence of all joy and peace. I mean, that's when your life is truly transformed. Coming to church will not do you anywhere near as much good as coming to Christ. And the two are not the same. I just want you to really hear that. The two, are, in other words, you don't, you're not going to go to heaven just because you punch your membership card and you, you sign in on a Sunday and punch your time card. I'm at church. <laughs> that doesn't get you to heaven. Jesus Christ and his grace alone is what allows us to live in the kingdom forever with him. And I'm just saying, please just do your best to be, in, even as Antonia shared about tithing, and be intentional. I'm here this morning because I want not only to, I'm not coming here with the consumer mentality. I'm not going to come here and see, you know, if the worship team can sing a song I like or if the pastor can say something that inspires me or alone. But in, you, you've got to come thinking, you have, and this is what I'm about to speak on uh, as far as these motivational gifts. You have to understand, really, I have a job to do in the kingdom. I'm coming to this house. This is the house the Lord's chosen for me to be in. But I'm coming because I have a part to play in this team. I have a part to play 
in this team. I'm not just a spectator. I'm not just filling a space on a chair waiting for something to happen and sitting back and kind of yawning and going out the door at the end of the service saying, oh, well, you know, whatever, that was nice. And not really, because it's, you have to understand, remember you hear me say often, you, you actually, you know, faith attracts. And this is why I always talk about expectation. If you expect nothing, your faith will work and you'll probably get nothing. So you can pat yourself in the back and say, my faith worked. I got nothing. Didn't expect much. Didn't get much. Hallelujah. And, and I but see this, but you've got to. So this is why we're going to teach on these motivational gifts. Because again, the, the, they're the seven gifts that are spoken of in Romans 12. We'll get to it. I've got a long PowerPoint this morning. And I'm going to do my best to run through it quickly. And it's a lot of information this morning, but I'm, as always, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit that it will also bring, you know, revelation. That it'll be more than just a, a flood of words. I don't want that to be the case. Every single one of you, if you're born from heaven, you have been given spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are beyond natural giftings. The moment you got saved and were filled with the Spirit, you have been given spiritual gifts. But you need to learn how to recognize them. And then you need to learn that spiritual gifts grow. And you need to learn, as I'll read here on some of these things in a moment, you know, if you don't use them, they will not grow. You have to get involved. Just like, even like you know, thank God, like John coming up this morning, feeling sensing in the spirit that somebody here was suffering from migraines. That's what you do. You begin to step out and see what happens. Whether somebody jumps up and says, declares and screams they're healed is not the issue. The issue is you sense that something that adds to the overall kingdom, the overall truth of what God's kingdom wants to bring. You know, like Paul said, would that they all, you know, Paul and Moses in one place said, would that they all prophesied. I remember that place in, in Exodus where Moses, somebody came up to him and said, hey, hey, these guys are prophesying at the camp and they're not right here with you. And he said, hey, that's cool. He said, would that they were all prophets and they were all prophesying at the camp. You know what I mean? So anyhow, Father, I just want to give you thanks this morning again as we pursue this over the next few weeks. And I'm fully expecting, I'm asking, I'm hoping, I'm praying for you, Father, to truly help everybody in our group identify the spiritual gifts that are within them, and that they would see how much fulfillment is going to come in their life in every area, spirit, soul, body, and the natural part of their life when they begin to see the spiritual gifting that you've given them, and they really make the decision, I've got a job to do, I've got a part to play, and they begin to utilize it, flow with it, investigate it, research it, think about it, pray about it, so that it might grow, so that it might be used and just be something that benefits the entire body of Christ. This is your will for the whole body of Christ. It's all through your word. So, Father, I bless your name this morning, and again, Holy Spirit, my total trust and hope is in you, that you will help us just come to more and more light in this matter as we pursue it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Just a couple of verses, like, remember, 
Two weeks ago, when I first started to introduce this, I, I shared from a, uh, I read 1 Corinthians 1, you don't have to go there, but that's where they talk about how not many think about your own calling, not many of you were wise, con, con, you know, as far as the world concerned, not many of you were called when, when, as nobles, you weren't noble, in other words, you're regular folks, but what he's trying to talk about is quit disqualifying yourself because of any natural, what you consider to be natural limitations. Because God does not think like you think. You do not have to be an Oxford graduate or Cambridge graduate. You don't have to be a Rhodes Scholar to be used by God. You do understand that, right? Seriously, answer me. Do you understand that? He even goes as far to say, which I probably qualify fully for this one, God intentionally chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And I'm sure to many... Particularly when I first got saved, I was definitely, you know, who, Rod Anderson, heroin addict, this dude, you know, but you're telling me he's preaching? I mean, you know, I could, you know, that was absolutely foolish to the thoughts of anybody who ever knew me back in that day. But see, God glories in doing that. And all I'm trying to say is every, see, I'm just saying every person I've ever met often dwells a lot more on what they see as a weakness in them than on the strengths God has given them. And that is the great tool of the devil. He wants you to always meditate, think on, and just stay concerned and thinking about the places where you don't come up to par in your own mind. And then in Corinthians and other places, it says, never compare yourself among yourselves. It says, because when you compare yourselves among, among yourselves, you make yourselves out to be foolish. And I'm just saying, I'm longing for you to wake up to the true value that you actually carry. There's, I mean, you've got to really hear me. My God, it so screams in my spirit. You've got to know that God never made junk. And it wasn't just, you know, a funny little bumper sticker. To be born again means you've got something in you that came from heaven. God, you are God's child. You are God's son or God's daughter. You are filled with the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's not put in you to just sit back and relax for the rest of your life. There's purpose now. There's purpose in your life now. Divine purpose, way beyond natural purpose, way beyond your natural consideration of what you might be able to do with a career. There's divine purpose. And it's only when you really capture that truth that your natural giftings and stuff really begin to be elevated and come to the fullness of what God designed them to be. Listen. God is first. That's what, again, Antonio spoke to about when I spoke. God is first. He can't be second, remember? And when you actually say, I'm going to let you be first in my life. I'm going to let you, I'm going to, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to surrender. I'm actually going to let you be first in my life. I mean, you're first. You're not going to be second, third. You're going to be first. I mean, every day. I refuse to look at email the first thing in the morning. That will not be my first. I refuse to look at my phone first thing in the morning. First thing you do when you wake up. I refuse. That's where I started. I know that all of you are perfect and you don't do that. Right? But I mean, honestly, just something as simple as that. God is going to be first. So the moment I wake up, wherever my head may go, even if I had a tough night's sleep or something like that, still within a... and I'm not perfect, but I'm just saying, you, you know, the, in Timothy, Paul said, we exercise ourselves toward godliness. It's like going to the gym. You exercise. 
So the moment if I wake up and I sense that, you know, I'm kind of, or whatever like that, it makes no difference. I immediately take even what that, you know, I love that song. I've never heard that song, but I love that one, one line about, um, I'm going to push through till every lie crumbles. That's incredible. I mean, and I am, I'm going to keep pushing till every lie Satan has ever told about me crumbles. Hallelujah. And that's honest to God, a beautiful, those are beautiful lyrics, man. I'm telling you, you need to get that song and tattoo it on your forehead. Put it on the inside of your glasses. Anyhow, whatever. Hallelujah. I just want you full. So in Ephesians 4, 7, I'm going to read this verse first. I want you to catch this. I'm starting right in the middle of what, something Paul's talking about. He's, well, no, I'm just going to read it because I've I got too much to share. He says, grace, God's unmerited favor, was given to each of us individually. Did you hear that? Grace was given to every single one of you individually, not indiscriminately, but simply in different ways in proportion to the measure of Christ's rich and bounteous gift. Now, you need to catch that one. In proportion to what? In proportion to the size of the gift of Christ. And that gift is pretty big. But what he's trying to say is, Paul's saying, listen, every single one of you have received a grace from God. God's Yet grace was given to each of you individually in different ways. So there's nobody here that hasn't been gifted. I just want to drive that home first. Do you hear me? Somebody talked to me a little bit. Like Julie said, some of you may be sleepy, but that's all right. I still wish sometimes when I was at school, my, when I was at Rama, this one of my professors, he had these, in America, they had these big old white chunks of chalk for the chalkboard. I mean, chalk as big as your middle finger. I mean, big old pieces. And when people, don't, you know, fell off to sleep, this dude, seriously, he would, I'm kidding, he could throw chalk and hit you 10 rows back right in the forehead. He'd actually do that to wake you up, freak me out. I don't think they'd allow that nowadays in school, but I'm serious, and pow, you, you get, and hit. He was a good aim. All I know is he, he hit who he threw at, Dr. Ken Stewart. I'll never forget that. And maybe, I don't know, can I get like a pot of stuff, little marbles, so I can just... I think be, we'd be a different church then, wouldn't we? Oh, well, I can see you're thrilled by it. God's grace was given to each of you individually in different ways. Now, Romans 12, 11, 29 is another very familiar verse, but I want to read it. For God's gifts and his call. He's talking about the Jewish people, but still the, 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 the principle remains true. God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. He never, never withdraws them when once they're given. And he does not change his mind. See, the problem is we change our minds today, tomorrow, over and over again. He never, he does not change his mind about those to whom he gives his grace. Now, I just said in Ephesians 4, Paul said to every one of you, has been given grace in different ways. He's never going to change his mind about the grace he's given you. Never. So don't you want to identify it? Don't you want to, you know, it's, it's, it's a major part of your having fulfillment in your life to recognize this. Now, um, this is, I think, Paul, uh, what's your name back there? John? Is John still here? Wherever is that? Who's ever doing this? Whatever. Is that Dom? 
Whoever's doing the overhead. I mean, yeah, anyhow, let's start the PowerPoint. I'm going to start reading for now. So it's a long one, but I, I put so much up here, like I said, I just wanted to get this out. Now, next week, we'll go to those. ones. But I wanted to go over the, the first gift is prophecy. And actually, I think I'm going to read them in advance here. But if you can put up the first slide, but I'm going to read these earlier. It's in Romans 12. Don't, don't go there right now, but, you know, it says this. Let me read Rome, well, Romans 12, 6 or 8. Can you put that up real quick? Can you put Romans 12, 6 or 8 either in the King James or the New King James? But that's the one where we say these, where we have these things here. Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. This is, you're in Bible school this morning. Is that okay? You won't get mad? Lock the doors. Thank you. King James, that's fine, good. Having then gifts according to the grace that's given to us. Having then. Everybody say, I have a gift. Everybody say, I have a gift. Okay. Having then gifts differing according to what? To the grace given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith. Ministry, let us wait on our ministering. He that teacheth on his teaching. Next. 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 Or he that exhorts on his exhortation. He that gives, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So basically, there's these seven gifts that you study out. These have been taught around the body of Christ for years. Some call them body gifts. Some call them motivation gifts. But basically, they're prophecy, ministry of serving, teaching, exhortation or encouragement, giving or liberality, ruling or leadership or mercy. These are gifts. These are spiritual gifts now that are part and parcel of what motivates you to be whom God has called you to be. And every single one, as we're going to read here, have this. Now, let's go, go to the PowerPoint, if we could. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. Just bear with me. It'll be, it'll be worth it when it's all said and done. This is, we've got to be educated spiritually. Like I said, there's none of you that need to be spiritually unemployed. That's the phrase I keep using. These are the ones we've already gone. Go to the next slide, please, if you would. Well, I'll just read it. Okay, here's where we start. As believers, every individual in the body of Christ has a calling to fulfill. We all need to be spiritually employed. I've been speaking to that about four Sundays, but now, like I said, is when we're going to start it. Spiritual employment. Spiritual employment. God has made no man or woman to simply sit by and exist until he comes for us. We are to be busy with the work of the kingdom, and we all have a job to do. A motivational gift is a spiritual gift, and it's different from being gifted in other areas of life. Everyone, Christian or non-Christian, can have natural abilities. But what makes a spiritual gift different is, is that it is indeed a gift that God instills or imparts when you become filled with the Holy Spirit. One might have been born with an innate ability to speak in front of a crowd, but when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they may have a gift of mercy towards those that are struggling. In other words, you know, you'll find out, okay, even, but let me keep reading. Every person who is filled with the Holy Spirit has at least one, if not more, spiritual gifts, although no one is gifted with them all. These gifts are just that they're a gift. You don't earn it. You don't choose it. It's given from heaven. All right? You hear me? This isn't something you do not go to. You don't choose prophecy because you go to Asda under P and find prophecy. 
You understand me? You don't do that. Every person who is filled with the Holy Spirit has at least one, if not more, spiritual gifts, although no one is gifted with them all. These gifts are given to us so that we can serve the body of Christ efficiently. These gifts can grow. So just because you were not given a spiritual gift of teaching when you became a Christian doesn't mean that, you'll, that he'll not provide that gift to you if you find yourself teaching a Sunday school class. On the flip side, these gifts will not grow unless we use them. It's important to understand that not everyone is gifted in the same areas, thank God. We need one another to be a fully functioning body of Christ. We need one another to be a fully functioning body of Christ. Now, like I said, this morning is more educational than it's going to be maybe inspirational, but I'm trusting him that it will inspire you nevertheless. So just bear with me. It's something we, we need to go through. This is part of a pastor's responsibility. It's important to understand that not everybody's gifted in the same areas. We need one another to be a fully functioning body of Christ. Just like when you're building a house, you need many tools. You can't build a house only using a hammer. You need saws, several other tools as well. In the church, you need many people gifted in different areas. See, that's every one of you are different tool in God's toolbox. I mean, do you understand it? Really? Do you actually understand? One of you may be a hammer, like a manual. You know, one of you, you know, may be a wrench. You know, one of you may be, I don't know what, a, a, a tape man. You, you, but every single one of you, because you've got to, I just want to pound this home with the hammer that I am at some time. I want you to understand every single one of you are one of his tools. He intends them to be used. He would not made that tool if there wasn't a necessity for that tool to build the house. The house, my dad was a building contractor, as you know. I used to love as a kid just to mess in his big old toolbox, the multitude of tools he had to do this and to do that and the planes. I used to, you know, anyhow, all of you, in the church, you need many people gifted in different areas. Now then, uh, Ephesians 4.11, we all know it says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now these are ministry gifts here, of course, not body gifts or motivational gifts. Not all the body of Christ is called as ministry gifts. There are other gifts and offices. If everyone were one of these five offices, there would be left any saints to perfect because he said those five ministry offices are given to perfect or mature the saints of which you are. You're the saints. These are the five gifts that minister to perfect or mature the rest of the church. This doesn't mean you can't get revelation on your own, but certain offices God has called and he gives special revelation to them out of his word that we need to listen to. And again, the difference between ministry offices and body gifts is always just simply the level of the anointing. There's a a stronger mantle that comes on you if indeed you're, you're called to a ministry office. But it's going to be out of the seven motivational gifts that he's going to call the five ministry gifts. So this is why you need to find out who you are in the body gifts because you need to mature in it and let it grow to see what God may do with you later down the road, okay? The ministry gifts are not supposed to do everything, which is the common assumption of many church people. Come to church, we do, it's all on the pastor. Now, let's be honest, right? Let's see what the guy has that's up there at the top. Don't, don't you? Oh, really? Isn't that the case, Norman? You come to church, then you kind of depend on what the guy up here has. Wrong. Wrong. That's never been God's pattern. Ever. 
You give honor to where honor is due, but actually read those verses in Ephesians again. God gave those gifts to mature the saints that they might do the work of the ministry. They, they, they is you. Everybody say, I'm they. Come on, talk. You've got to be awake. Deji's locked the doors already. We are to build, the ministry gifts are to build you up in your faith that you may do the work of the ministry. You. But do you see how backwards it's been for so long? People come to church and they expect these super, superstars, spiritual superstars, which there ain't no such animal. They just come expecting these guys to do it all. And they kind of sit back and again, they have a consumer mentality. That's why the church has been so weak for so long. Do, Do you not understand what I'm saying? People haven't understood or accepted their own responsibility. And remember that wonderful word, it's very simple, but it's your response to his ability that he's put in you by his grace the moment you receive Christ. Hallelujah. Please wake up to what he has done in you. You're not a standby. You're not just a spectator. You're not, okay, well, I'm, you know, I'm coming to church, I'm humble me, and I'm not worth much, I'm not worth anything, and woe is me, and, but I'm going to come and just kind of sit back there. I won't bother anybody. I mean, you know, I, this is the kind of people I meet, and that's so demonic, literally demonic. That's his job. I mean, the devil's job, that's what he does. He, his whole job is to demote you. God's job is to promote you. All he wants to do is disillusion you. God wants to envision you. you, can, you see, and we just, but we've, we didn't even know. We accepted all these lies. That's why I love that phrase again. I'm going to push through till every, you know, till every lie crumbles. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm here for a reason. You're sitting here. You have purpose, a divine purpose. You're not just somebody occupying a chair. Listen, I, I, there's a whole other thing I want, to, I want to teach you in a while about words. And how words are like water. And how, you know, the words and water and Jesus. And I, I'm just trying to say, Satan comes with floods of words. That's actually the meaning of a lot of verses I've looked at just recently. It's amazing. He comes with a flood. His flood is words. I mean, they're a flood of words. You're no good. You married the wrong person. You'll never, you'll never prosper in this career. You'll never, I mean, it's a flood of words. It's a classic truth like David and Goliath. Goliath said the same things every day. It says every day he came and said these things. And there are things that every one of us have Goliaths and they, approach, and they come every day and they say the same thing about you to diminish your worth. And to tell you that you don't qualify. I mean, that's what hell wants you to always give yourself to. Why I don't qualify. I, well, no, not me. Not me. Maybe them, but not me. Not me. It will never be me. I can't be me because, I mean, I'm me. I know me. I know my shortcomings. Do you think God doesn't know your shortcomings? Of course he does. Do you, but this is the thing. He doesn't judge you according to your shortcomings. He judges you because in Christ you've been saved. In Christ you've been made whole. He doesn't see your shortcomings. He sees Jesus in you. But he, we have to wake up. Duh. That's why your mind has to be renewed to the Word of God. You have to wake up. I'm the Son of God. All things are possible to me because of the one who lives in me. 
not my skill, not my talent. And you just begin to recognize it's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ in me, the hope of him being glorified in the earth. He's only, that's the only plan God has is for his name to be glorified through people like you and I. He doesn't have any other plan. So Satan's job is to dull your senses, dull your spiritual minds, keep you disinterested. You know, that's another thing. God spoke to me this morning. I don't, I just brought it back in my remembrance, so I'll share it again. He said, the problem is so many people in the church, you know, the Bible says they grow disinterested. And that's why they stop coming to church or they stop, they maybe come once every two weeks and every three weeks, or they just flat stop because they don't understand how Satan works. You have to grow. So you're growing right now, either up or down. And people grow disinterested because they accept the seed of disinterest. They accept the seed of, I'd rather watch TV. They accept the seed of, I'd rather go to the park, whatever. Listen, you have eternal life because of the greatest gift that was ever given, the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, he is worthy I'm telling you, really, he's worthy of our attention and of our love and of our praise. He's worth giving one jive three-hour session of a day and a week to come and glorify his name. I said he's worth that. At least he sure is to me. And he should be that way every single day, of course. But I'm just saying it breaks my heart. When I watch as being a pastor all these years and being around church, all this, you know what? You can see people growing disinterested and they always have great justifications you know that's because they live here and they don't live from here they've always got justifications they've always got them their intellect convinces them of the validity of their argument slowly but surely they back off the things of God and they suddenly find themselves in I, I mean you know, the young women that Julie and I have known that just, they, you know, it's like the Bible says, Amalek attacks those. Amalek's a type of Satan, but a type of satanic emissaries. And Amalek, it says, always attacks those who linger at the back. And it speaks to those who just kind of hang around. They're never really, they don't get in the middle of what God's doing. They kind of hang around, and then slowly but surely they get in the back, and that's the one he kills, he takes out. Just like you watch those lions on the... National Geographic Channel, you know, they look for the little young ones. They look for the ones that, that are weak and what have you like that. And, you know, I'll, the, over our 35-some years, you know, I've watched, like, wonderful Christian young women who just, they don't have, they don't see the snap, and the, it's not spectacular enough for them. It's not as cool. And so slow. And they had beautiful hearts and are a real strength. I want to serve God. Boom, boom, boom. And 18 months later, they're pregnant. You know, because they just walked out of God's grace. And, you know, honestly, I'm serious. That breaks my heart. All the times I've seen that. Similar thing, you know, young men, just, they just, it's just, they've got to hold the bells and whistles. They don't like it if it's not something spectacular every moment. And they, and those, listen, you know, this, the Bible says, do not be distracted by the noise of the enemy. And there's a whole lot of noise out there. And I'm just saying, man, you know, you've got to stick. You need to, you need to say, I want to be right in the middle of what God's doing. 
I'm telling, just like, you know, a few posts that were up the other day, been up for a while, but I mean, you know, it's what, the day we're living in, have you, have you heard about all that stuff that's happening in Brazil? Even if you're on Facebook, you see how to, you know, they, the, they had this desire to, to, to pray and they had this one seventy-five thousand seat auto, uh, uh, stadium, yeah, and they filled it in a matter of 24 hours with tickets. They had so many tickets, they decided to rent another stadium. Within four hours, another 80,000-seat stadium was filled. And then they realized they needed another one, so they wound up finding a third stadium with 75 more thousand people, and it filled in two hours. And the president of Brazil then came to that one and declared Jesus as Christ over all of Brazil. But see, stuff like that is happening everywhere. We're on the cusp of the greatest move of God that there's ever been. I mean, we're on the cusp of something so glorious, so mighty. And this is why you can't allow Satan to put a a shield, a shadow over you to make you think it's just another day. This is not another day. We have come 6,000 and some years from Adam and the Bible is clear that after that 6,000 years, the glory of God, the, the Jesus Christ, is returning for that final seven-year part of Israel's history to be played out, and then the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. I mean, it's right here. Something, I mean, it's cosmic. It's so gigantic. It's so huge. And Satan is working overtime to keep you distracted. Keep you just, uh, it's just about this, or we, you know, to make anything, Lord, but Jesus. Anything, anything. Um, you, you know, see what God's doing around the earth. See about how many hundreds of thousands of Muslims are coming to Christ all through Iraq and Iran and all these places. That's not just some silly little statement. It's the truth. It's happening right now. Never before in the history of the earth has there been so many people. China, my God. They say there's probably more Christians in China by far than there ever have been in America. I mean, massive, massive underground churches anywhere. I mean, because you see, God's word cannot be stopped. The word of the Lord grew and prevailed. And God's word is always going to prevail. But you and I get to make an individual decision. I'm going to let God's word prevail in me, bless God. I'm going to let it be the loudest voice, the loudest voice, because there's many voices, the scripture says, and they're all, but you know, I'm telling you, if anything says defeat, death, you're going to die early, my daddy, all that, that's a bunch of, that's the devil. No, you don't listen to those voices. You run, you jump and go to the word of God. Anyhow, and I'm preaching now. Uh, the ministry gifts are not supposed to do everything, which is the common assumption of many church people. You are to edify the body of Christ. What God has designed the ministry gifts for is to teach the body so that they go out and win the next door neighbor. Remember this, and then there's a profound statement. Remember, sheep beget sheep. You're the sheep. I said, you're the sheep. Don't expect me to go out and evangelize this city. By myself. You're the sheep. Sheep beget sheep. So sheep be about your duty. You hear me? I said sheep be about your duty. Go talk to people about Jesus. Bring them to a place where the word of the Lord is being taught. And where they can worship the Lord in spirit and truth. That's your job. That's not my job. That's your job. Hallelujah. So get on your J-O-B. 
You hear me? That's what you say these days. Get on your job. Hallelujah. The main responsibility of the ministry gifts is to stay in tune with the Holy Spirit and His Word so that they can give it to the body so the body can then go out and quote-unquote do the work of the ministry causing people to come to church. That way you're continually edified until one day God will possibly call you into a ministry office and you get to go out and do the same causing a continual process of reproduction. If you aren't using the gifts God gave you in the church then that means that your role is either going undone Or that somebody who doesn't have that gift is filling that role, maybe getting burned out. Because they're working in an area that they're simply not gifted. John Boykin wrote, quote, many Christians, listen to this, many Christians feel more comfortable with the idea that apart from Christ they can do nothing. In other words, I I don't apart. They feel more comfortable with that part of it than they do with the other side of the coin that they can do all things through him who strengthens them. I can do nothing lets me off the hook. I can do all things, makes me wonder why I'm not doing anything. <laughs> so like I said, there's these seven, these seven different gifts. Now this isn't on the outline, on the PowerPoint, but I'm just going to read it. Under those seven gifts, prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, ruling, mercy, under these seven gifts of the body, you'll find the deacon, the elder, or the bishop. There's two aspects of an elder. He rules and teaches. There's a blending. Now, when it comes to gifts, understand that there are often what's called gift mixes or gift blending. In other words, if just because you may really lean towards this one, it doesn't mean that you can't be using another one. But there'll always be one that carries a greater strength. Your deacons, your elders, and bishops are not necessarily, therefore, part of the Ephesians fivefold ministry gifts or offices, yet... There are seeds found in both. In other words, it's going to be from the seven areas that God calls out the fivefold ministry gifts. Note, you can be a teacher without standing in the office of teacher. The difference is always in all of these, the level of the anointing. All pastors are elders, but not all elders are pastors. But God calls elders and can make them pastors. The issue is faithful stewardship of the calling that you have. That's what creates opportunity for God to choose. Many are called. I used to have people come up to me all the time, young people when I was principal of Bible school. Uh, you know, God's got a call on my life. God's got a call on my life. And I appreciate that, and I understood what they mean. But uh, like this one guy, I'll never forget one of these times, I said, well, they, dude, everybody, like I said, because, you know, God's grace has been given to all, everybody has a call on their life. So that's not actually the big deal. The big deal is, will you be found faithful with the calling so that you might be chosen? Remember, because many are called, but few are chosen. You've got to be faithful with the calling to be elevated to a place where you're actually chosen for a work. Do you hear me? I can see you're really thrilled with all this. So now, okay, back to the, to the PowerPoint. Um, <clears throat> the actual prophecy motivation. Uh, all of them have different things. The prophecy motivation is often called the eyes of the body because they see more. Now, like I said, we're going to go through all of them. Today, I've got to just rush us so much about the prophecy one that I wanted to say. So again, forgive me. I'm trying not to preach. I just need to read because of the time. Characteristics of the people that carry the prophecy motivation, like a Tommy, like Deji, like Julie, and, and many others, I'm sure. But I'm just saying, it's, it, you know, characteristics usually very outspoken. They often make quick judgments based on what is seen and heard only. This is not wrong. It's just how they are. Often they react to... There's always, listen, with every calling, every motivational gift, there's a, pros, a pro and a con. There's a plus, there's a positive, and there's a negative. 
because all of us are still flesh. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Turn to your neighbor and look at them and realize they're flesh. That means they're not perfected yet. Hallelujah. I mean, David Powell is perfected, but he's the only one in here. Anyhow. Um, they often react too quickly. This is something that you do see. They're often impulsive. They're painfully direct. They love friends enough to correct them, and therefore they have few intimate friends. <laughs> but these are people with insights. They're the more bold ones. They're prone to chop you up at times. They may have insights into problems you may have, but seemingly very little compassion on the surface when they refer to them. They speak like this. This is your problem, buddy. Take care of it. But sometimes we need those kind of people, like I said, to slap us into shape. Like I said, I'm married to one of them. Rod, do this. Really, Rod, you know, just get your act together. I mean, she'll say, and I need it, you know, because I'm, I'm mercy motivated. I'm really, really mercy motivated. And there's a whole lot of problems with me having mercy motivation. You let people get done with a lot of stuff. And Julie has to, she has, she has to, you know, pull my bootstraps up at times. Come on, Rod. I mean, really, that's why, you know, God does bring opposites together. He really does. I thank God for what she carries. She's, anyhow. Okay. Sometimes we need these kind of people to slap us into shape. Motivated, they're motivated to be God's spoke, spokesman, to meet particular needs by delivering God's message and, the, you know, and to reveal unrighteous motives or actions by presenting God's truth. I mean, this is that's their motivation. I, I want this. I see this. These are problems. You're having these. I see this. Don't you see this? And there's this something in them. I just, you know, I'm not trying to be mean, but I, I want you to get fixed here. You know, don't go through this. Don't do this. I mean, that's part of it. A prophetic motivation shows themselves as an interpreter, as it were, one who interprets and declares the mind of God, God's mouthpiece. He speaks under the influence of the Holy Spirit. His message is always relevant. It's always aimed at a particular person or a people or situation or response to a particular need. Now, like I said, there's so much. The, the word of the prophetic has the following results in 1 Corinthians 14.3. We all know this, but it's important. He who prophesies speaks to men for a building, encouragement, consolation, edification, exhortation, comfort. The New Testament New Testament definition of prophecy is edification, exhortation, and comfort. Do you hear me? The Old Testament, when you hear the word prophet, you always thought of foretelling. In the New Testament, prophecy is more forthtelling. But it can indeed. God's not forgotten about the future, to say the least, one of the gifts of the Spirit, like the word of wisdom. Prophecy carries other gifts. Real prophecy can carry words of knowledge and words of wisdom. That's what they carry. And, of course, a word of wisdom is when God will bring a word. Remember, a word means a fragmentary part of a sentence. It's not the whole story. God will bring a word of what God alone knows, and it's to unlock something in your heart or your spirit. And that's what, again, people with prophecy... one of the toughest things for people that are really prophetically motivated is that people, if they recognize that they are such a person, people kind of want to think that they've got the answer for everything. But that's not the way it works. They, have, they get a fragment of, the, of what God's saying. And they have, they're learning to be faithful with this, this bit. I don't have the whole story. And see, you need to understand that. 
Otherwise, it'll be very difficult for you to receive from people that have a truly prophetic gifting. Don't expect them to have the whole story. See, God's a surgeon. He knows where to make cuts. He knows where to do this or to do that. It starts a process of healing. Amen. The word of a prophet is the following results. He who prophesies speaks to men for their ability, encouragement, consolation. Number one, it, it builds up the Christian life. It's upbuilding, upbuilding. You know, that's what it is, edification. To edify means to build up. It provides building materials for the Christian life. Then again, this is like when I hear Tommy sometimes speak or Julie or Deji, let's just someone else, or they'll tell me, or I, I look at some of the prophecies that Julie and I have received over the years, and I'll, I'll see that. You know, I can see that in there. It's given me something to build with. I'm, there's, they've seen something that I, you know, and really what prophecy really does, if it's real, it always confirms something that, quite frankly, you always kind of knew, but maybe you were too timid to believe. You know what I'm trying to say? You just, uh, I'm not good enough for myself to believe that. But that's why God loves you so much. He'll bring a prophetic voice and he'll confirm something that you thought was just a dream. He'll tell you how special you are when you think you're nothing. Number two, it stimulates the Christian will. It encourages. That's what encouragement means. This is why I constantly say, please, every time you come to church, what do I say? Find someone to encourage. It provides, it stimulates us to be obedient to the truth and make right decisions. That's the simplicity of the prophetic gift. Number three, it strengthens the Christian spirit, consolation. It calms the storms of life. It's going to be okay. We sang about it. You know, God's going to come through. God is utterly trustworthy. Please know this. God has never made anybody with the purpose of failure. God has no failure in his agenda. Once you're in Christ, you've already won the greatest battle that you'll ever win. You have eternal life. Hallelujah. And that's why everything else is gravy. Everything else is ice cream. You know, and you go through, excuse me, you'd go through all kinds of crud in this life, but it ain't no big deal no more. I love that attitude of Paul. You know, if this happens, this happens, but what of it? I love that. He goes, but what of it? What's the big deal? What is that compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in the day of Christ Jesus? Please, please, you do know, remember, you've got to keep reminding yourself, this is not all there is. Do you hear me? This isn't all there is. This isn't all there is. We got eternity to walk in the glory of heaven. And I mean, we can have heaven on earth if we just begin to really refine, define our own life and see it through the eyes of Christ. Christ, the anointed one and his anointing. The anointed one. I mean, I love him more than I've ever known. It was possible to love somebody that you can't see. It's just something that grows and grows and grows. The more you stay in this word, I'm telling you, it's true what Paul said in Corinthians. As you continue in the word of God, as in the mirror, the glory of Jesus Christ begins to get on you. And you just, oh, Jesus, you're real. These angels are real. These mighty beings are forming. I mean, you begin to get fascinated like a little child. 
yesterday I was reading, I finished reading uh, Exodus again and I was just sitting there like a kid, blowing my mind, thinking about, you know, in the rock, how God told, Mo, you know, when Moses blew it, he says, say to the rock, bring forth water. And of course, he hits it with the rod. And for that reason, he wasn't allowed to go into to the, to the promised land. But think about that. God says, speak, talk to a rock. I, you know, I sit back and think, think about, live. if you're alive in those days and you're, you're not sure if you're hearing from God or not, and... Uh, God comes to you and he says, I want you to talk to a rock. Now think about, just seriously, stop and just think for a moment. How quick would you be to say, "Mm, of course, I'm going to go talk to that rock. Rock, bring forth water. No, his mind was no different than your mind and my mind. You know, seriously, you have to waste stuff, but to be... So to be drawn into such an intimate place with Christ. To realize that at, at the word of the Lord, if he so directs, I could talk to a tree and tell her to bring forth gold if he said to do it. But the other thing is when you're reading it and it says, and the rock was Christ, of course, and it said the rock followed them. Now, you know what? The book, this book is a spirit book. I said it's a spirit book. It's not an intellect, it's not an educational tool. It's not a great work of literature alone. It's a spirit book. That's why carnal minds can't grasp it. You have to be spiritually minded to begin to accept and walk in any of this that God has brought to us. You have to accept it, that it's spirit. Did you, wait, you're not here. You have to accept that this is spirit. I said, this is spirit. It's not matter or or flesh. It's not earthy. It's spirit. It always does what it's intended to do. His word will never return void. It's when this spirit that's on his word is alive. The spirit is the life of a thing. That's why, again, you have to approach it. With the, this is alive. It's not a dead letter. It's alive. Like I say, every single morning when I read, I, I stop before I, and I say, this is the bread from heaven. This is the, the breath of life. This is the ruach of God. It's the breath. It's alive. And I, I'm, forgive me, but that's how I am. I, I treat it like, I try to be like a little child. This is alive. It's alive. It's moving. Something that's alive moves. Something that's alive moves. And it will start moving in your spirit. And it will do what it's always intended to do. It's going to bring life. Life births life. I mean, how simple can you get? Life births life. That's why I look hanging around this thing. It's changed me from a heroin addict. It's changed me to somebody who's no longer like that. I don't, I'm not, I'm, that's, he's dead. I'm a brand new man, like I said. And so were you. A rock followed them. See, I, that just fascinates me. I mean, a literal, I'm talking about, it was a literal rock, man. A boulder. I see, you natural minds, what? 
Of course you'll freak out. What? See, you can't figure out that stuff. It's spirit. It's beyond this dimension. But that rock, unless the Bible's a lie, that rock followed them. You may turn it around, same rock. That rock followed them, and the rock was Christ. Just like he's with you. Now he's in you, and he's in me. He doesn't follow us anymore. <gasps> Point four. It, the prophetic motivation discloses secrets of sinners' hearts and leads to their recognition of God's presence in their midst, and it can lead to their conversion. It brings to light things that were previously concealed. That's what really does happen, again, with the legitimate prophetic gifting. It can indeed, verse point five, it can indeed foretell future events and therefore enable the church to be prepared and to respond appropriately. Now, either we believe this or we just, or we don't believe the Bible. Jesus Christ said emphatically, the Holy Spirit will show us things to come. I'm asking you, I'm trusting that you, you don't have it if you don't release faith for it. Ask him, Holy Spirit, show me what's about to happen. Um, that whatever, big, small, whatever. It's, in other words, do you understand what that really translates into? He does not want you to be caught by surprise. He doesn't want you to be unprepared. But it's all dependent. Remember, it talks about the proportion of the grace that's operating on your soul. I quoted that from two weeks ago. All these things work according to the proportion of grace, the proportion of grace that you allow to work on your soul. The power of what God has done in Jesus Christ, grace. How much of the power of grace will you allow to operate on your soul? Change the way you think until you actually believe in what Christ has done, what he's paid for. It's like some people often, I heard some guy say, you know, there are some people who just can't, they actually feel like God's going to punish them. And I, and, I, and I tell them, and they get, people get upset when I say this, God will never, ever punish you. I don't care what sin you've committed, he will never punish you. You know why? Because he punished Jesus for you. And he'll never punish two people for the same thing. He's already punished him. You will never be punished by God. Now, I like to just wait there because I love to just sense what's going through people's minds. Because again, you've heard me say many times, there's something in us that wants to suffer. <laughs> we want to be punished because we know how weak we are in areas or we think it's just that God does punish, especially others, for what they do. But we don't realize that when we kind of believe that about others, that we also, that therefore, we indict ourselves with the same thing. We, we choose to believe, well, this is simply, I'm suffering, I'm being punished for my shortcomings. I'm being punished. I'm being punished. No, you're not. You're being deceived. Because God won't punish you. Christ took your punishment. Either you... Christ took awake unto righteousness and sin not. 
Awake unto the fact that you have right standing with God now. You're right with God. You've been brought into harmony with God by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've been reconciled to God. That's the message of Jesus. He, we've been reconciled to God, brought back into harmony with God, and now he's given us the same ministry of reconciliation. We all have this ministry to go and tell people, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. In Christ, you're forgiven. Just accept him, accept him. Believe, believe, believe. Don't work, believe. He did it. He did it. God chose, chose the foolishness of preaching. He chose what the world called that's foolishness to preach that a man died for you, took your sin, took your penalty. But that's what he did. Hallelujah. And I'm born again. Yes. And you're, if you're born again, see, that's, this is why you need to alert your spirit, alert your mind that there's something to be happy about. Honest to God, this is what I mean. Why? No wonder you've heard me say it many times, and it is humorous. You know, people say, come to church. Come to church. Be miserable like we are. Because <laughs> you go to, you know, I mean, you come to church, and everybody's in there. Uh, 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 uh. You know, they look like they've been, they say, baptized in pickle juice. You know, supposed to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Remember, I heard said it a few weeks ago. Everything about New Testament, he says, I, Jesus said that you might have my joy and my gladness. Do you look like you? You know, look at your neighbor. Do they really look like they've got the joy of heaven on them? Do they have the gladness? Think, sir, the gladness of Jesus Christ. The gladness. How glad could Jesus have been? Because he knew his. I mean, glad. You know. You know, like the world used to say, go just when you smile everywhere you go, it'll make other people nervous. You know what I mean? But see, we got something to smile about. I'm actually saved. I am not a heroin addict. I'm going to live forever in the presence of Almighty God. I'm going to a place where the moment you tread on a flower, it instantly comes back as beautiful as it was before. I'm going to a place where the waters are so pure so mighty that you can never drown in them. You can swim under the water for days at a time, just flow and float and swim and rejoice. I'm going to a place where literally streets are paved with gold. I mean, where giant gates are made out of one pearl. I always think about, my God, how big was that oyster? I mean, seriously, how big was that oyster? One pearl. One pearl. Never another tear. Never another frustration. Never another negative thought. Never. Never. I mean, never. Never again a sense of foreboding. Never again the slightest evidence of fear nothing to fear and see that's what he wants me to experience more and more of here and it's happening with me I'm excited because I, I've been saying well he, I just it's really cut into me and I'd be anxious for nothing and I'm becoming anxious for nothing stuff that used to blow my mind now I just I'm finding myself just kind of smiling it's alright because I know in whom I have believed and you know Things just, funny enough, kind of work out 
okay because I'm refusing the right to be anxious. Number six, it builds up the church. It helps us to make wise. The characteristics of what I've got to finish now. Characteristics, what time is it? I don't have a watch. My watch is five o'clock. Angela loves me. The characteristics of one that exercises this gift. They speak as one who knows. And that's why I do love it. I love Tommy. I love you. I love Deji. I mean, I really do. They carry this stuff. I mean, I'm sure others of you do too. But right now, those are the guys that I'm, I'm far more aware of because I just simply know more, particularly my wife. But, you know, they don't, you don't sense doubt or, well, I don't they, they just, it's there. And that's great. They speak as one who knows. They have a, and this is so simple, but they have a burning desire that God's truth be applied to this situation. That's all they long for. I want to see, you know, this, Julie just used to, it's just as simple and some people they don't, they get tired of hearing it, but Julie was, the word says this. You know what I mean? I'll say too, but that's the crux of it. God's word why are you doing this when God's word says this? I mean, it's not rocket science. A burning desire that God's truth be applied to life situation. They have an overriding passion that God's purposes be vindicated. In other words, God is doing this because he knows what he's doing. You may not understand, but heaven understands. Don't faint in your mind. Don't flip out. prophetic motivation they need and there's a need to always express their message verbally that's just the way it is because it comes from the mouth there's a directness a frankness and a persuasiveness in their speaking there's a strength to it at times there's a boldness that hurts and it's true but it's not intended to hurt but I got to tell you you know have you ever really thought about it like I said I mentioned earlier about a surgeon you know, I mean, like when I was in the hospital with that liver situation, you know, they did some things to my body that hurt. I mean, I wasn't under general anesthetic. They did some stuff. They had to do things coming out. Okay, now, hold on a minute. You're going to feel something here. And you know, it was more than a little. I mean, you know, but they have to do some things to get to the healing, to get to what is needed to be done. That's so basic. And so sometimes God's word can hit you like a hammer in the head. But there's nothing about God that doesn't bless. His rebuke blesses. His correction is a blessing. Do you hear me? So you don't, you don't faint at the correction of the Lord, like it says in Hebrews. Now, uh, number six, there's the ability to discern the character and the motives of people. This is really, really good. And I, Julie's good at this, to say the least. But, you know, there are deeds that people do. But then this prophetic motivation, they'll sense a motive. They'll sense like the characteristic or something is behind it. And therefore, while it looks like what they're doing is good, they can sense, you know, there's, not a, there, there's, the, there's a wrong spirit about this. There's something. Number seven, they have the capacity to identify, define, and hate evil. Uh, once God had me uh, entitle a message once many years ago, perfect hatred. The pastor asked me, what are you going to speak on? And I said, how to hate perfectly. And the guy seriously looked at me and went, uh, 
I thought you were the guy that's supposed to be known for the love walk. And I said, yeah. But I mean, because he told me years ago, he said, I want to train you how to hate evil. He said, because if you don't understand what it means to hate it, you'll play with it. And so this is something that you go with. And so that's something that people with the prophetic thing carry to. They just, they, ha- they have this capacity to hate evil. They have, a burning, they have a burning desire. Now this can confuse them, but they have a burning desire to break the self-will of others. And what that simply speaks to is that, something, you know, it's, you can see people that are self-possessed. You, can, you meet people and you realize they are their own worst enemy. And so they, they want a people with this motivation. They want to break that. They're not trying to hurt you. They're just trying to keep you from, keep, from hurting yourself all the time. And, of course, they have, number nine, <clears throat> a dependence upon scriptural truth to validate their authority. Number ten, <clears throat> they have a desire for outward evidences to demonstrate the inward conviction that they carry. They have an inward weeping and personal identification with the sins of those who he's speaking to. Now, that's, if this isn't present in people who are given to being prophetic, then there's a real danger. This is where a real negative can be there. Our job is to heal, not break, right? And so, again, this is important. There needs to be, in other words, when you're dealing with somebody's sins, there should not be a momentary, not a fraction of a bit of a, you know, I, I kind of know this and you don't. You know what I mean? It's like an air of superiority, like I know something you don't. That will disqualify that gift from being very accurate in your life. I'm here to help. I'm here to bring healing. No matter how strong I have to come, it's, not, it's nothing about Jesus. Jesus said, you snakes, you vipers, you ferret, you know, all this kind of stuff. And yet every one of his words were healing words. Sometimes he said rough stuff because he's trying to wake them up. And sometimes that happens to us. An inward weeping or personal identification with the sins of those he's speaking to. And finally, it says they have an eagerness to help, excuse me, an eagerness to have others point out their blind spots so that they can minister more effectively. And this is, man, if there's anything I've ever learned in my years in ministry, all of us, myself included, there ain't nobody that doesn't have blind spots. You know what blind means? You can't see. You are literally blind in this area. There's no one in here right now that actually isn't blind to something. This is why you need good friendships, people who love God, because they can see something that you don't see. This is why you have to walk in a humble spirit with great, you have to learn to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, to say the least. Because that's the only way that you'll actually accept something that you don't see. <laughs> well, if you, if, you don't, if you haven't learned that yet, trust me, if you stay with Christ, you're, you're going to learn that. Accept that. So when you are judging other people for blind spots in their lives, just don't forget you've got blind spots in your life. Because none of us are perfect yet. We're on this side of heaven. Amen? Even Jennifer. Jennifer, I love you, but you're not perfect yet, darling. You're not perfect. No matter what Angela says, she, she, she's wrong. Now, here's some dangers in exercising the gift. Just about done. Some people, and again, I've seen guys like this too, they get a bit 
proud of their rhetoric and their persuasiveness. Like, you know, basically it's just all pride. All the mistakes that come in the prophetic gifting is just because they begin to, they just begin to take, you know, think it's, it's me. I, you know, you know, I'm prophetic. You, you know, you've heard us say this before. A lot of people who think they're prophetic are really pathetic. Amen. They can become proud of the rhetoric, but they can kind of think, they can begin to think, I've got kind of a special end with God since I speak on God's behalf. They can indeed become hardened and insensitive to people, all in the name of God using them prophetically. And boy, you know, the Holy Spirit is so far away from that that it's unbelievable. They can become hard, whatever. They can be bullheaded. Anybody ever met anybody bullheaded? Anybody in here ever been bullheaded? You do know that stubbornness, if it's stubbornness towards the will of God, that's great. But if it's just old-fashioned stubbornness, remember what the Scripture says, stubbornness is as witchcraft to the Lord. None of you want to be accused of being a witch, right? 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 Stubborn. Be flexible. Enough. Like that's one. Number five, seeing they can, one of the dangers is that they can see people as groups rather than individuals of personal needs. In other words, they don't. You just realize everybody's an individual. They've got stuff going on in their life. They can be deceived into thinking that they have all the answers. To say the least, like I said, this is kind of, they're all about the same. They can really, they can start to lack in love. Remember, love is the deepest, greatest, most powerful foundational truth of all God's dealing with mankind. God is love. And everything, everything that's of the spirit has to come from the platform of love. Otherwise, it will be tainted with error. Do you hear me? I said everything has to come from a desire I want to love. I, I'm, I'm loving you, uh, even if it's a hard word, you know, this, there's nothing in me, and only you know if that's the truth in your spirit, or if you just kind of want to show somebody that you know something they don't know. It's all, you know, it's all about ridding yourself of all that. Number eight, um, some of them, one of the dangers, they want to be taken at face value without any evaluation. Of course, Scripture says that you need to test or test prophecy. You need to prove it, so you need to learn how to do that. And that's a whole other teaching as well. Number nine, speaking. They can get into speaking personal feelings and wishes rather than a word from God. Number ten, again, these things are things you need to think on. Like I said, it's a lot of information this morning. I can't, you know, I, we could stop and preach on every point, but that's, I, so just forgive me, but bear with, right, we need to go through this. Um. Number 10, they can get emotionally carried away. A a prophet is lifted above himself, but never beside himself. What I mean by that is God's spirit in the prophet is always subject to the rational control of the prophet's own mind. And that's how you know how it's like in Corinthians, it says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, right? This is why, in other words, you. In other words, it's like this. It's like when people in church say, "Oh, I can't help it. I can't help it. You know, the Holy Spirit made me do it." See, that's a lie, because the Holy Spirit will never make you do anything. Your spirit's subject to God's spirit. 
So it's impossible for him to force you to do something. Okay, but that's it. And the final bits are just these six points where I've just put down to some misunderstandings. These are the things I've studied over the years and I've had taught me. Some of the misunderstandings, again, about people that walk in a prophetic motivation is they have a frankness and a boldness that may be viewed as harshness and unloving. To say the least, but that's not the case. They may have their interest in groups may be interpreted as disinterest in individuals. And their focus on right and wrong may be judged as intolerance of partial good. In other words, it may sound like they're saying everything about this is bad. In other words, that they can be misunderstood as not recognizing that there's, hey, a whole lot about you is right. So we're not talking about judging your all. You know, there's a whole lot about you that's right. In fact, there's always more about you than right than there is wrong. But sometimes people will misunderstand and think that they're just saying everything about my life is wrong. Uh, Daniel, number four, emphasis on decisions may appear as neglecting spiritual growth. In other words, they are growing, and you know that, but they can, they can as you're emphasizing, the, hey, you need to make your decision. You should make, you know, quickly, the quicker you make the decision, the better off you're going to be. They can kind of, you know, people take that as like, well, you don't recognize the fact that I am growing. I'm a lot better than I used to be. Uh, number five, public boldness and strict standards may hinder intimate personal relationships. It's kind of like we said earlier that, you know, they, they, have, they have few friends often because they speak boldly to, about what they have, and a lot of people can't handle that. And finally, the simple fact that they have a strong, they can, they, often there's a misunderstanding, their strong, desire, their strong desire to convey truth may be interpreted as little interest and listening to another person's point of view. In other words, they can get the reputation of being hard-headed. Now, again, like I said, a whole lot of information, I know, but like I said, I, I just want you to recognize that there are people in here, besides the ones I've named, who I'm sure function with a prophetic gifting. And it's only as you begin to exercise that gift, and the ones we'll go and start to next week as well, like I said, the next week, you know, like ministry, what it really speaks to, the, the different gifting, teaching. But it's only as you begin to use them that they're going to grow. And you need to discover, you need to ask yourself, is this something I have? Now, remember, I said also there's gift, what they call gift mixes or gift blendings. All of us can be used in any of these areas, right? Of course we can. But again, there'll always be one area that you seem to really be strongest in. And if you can go back to what I said in the very beginning... You must, to really have a fullness of joy in Christ and really be fulfilled in your Christian walk, you need to find out where you are. You need to become spiritually employed. I just want to keep that, I, just, I want you to catch that phrase. You need to be spiritually employed. None of you are called of God to sit on your butt for the rest of your life and just occupy a chair in a building. Do you hear me? Really? You have a part to play in the kingdom. Christ loved you that much. You didn't get saved just to exist through life until you die. You have a job to do. Hallelujah. I want to recognize it. I want to acknowledge it. And I want to develop it. And I want to rejoice in it. That's what I want for you. So when it comes to prophecy, as we know in Scripture, says, despise not prophesying. Amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. Okay, Rod's done with that one. Everybody say, praise God, he's done.
Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Hallelujah. Now, Father, I do thank you again. Holy Ghost. Spirit of the living God, I give you praise. I thank you for every unique anointing that you have infused into the hearts and the spirits of every one of the people that are in this church this morning. I mean every single one of them you've imparted, you've deposited spiritual gifts into. And again, Holy One, my prayer is that the veil comes off. The scales drop off. And that each of them are able to clearly see who they are in you. Who they are in the Spirit. And that they'll humbly receive it. They'll rejoice in the gift that you've given them. And they'll they'll begin to develop it and pursue it so that they can sense the joy of what comes being actually employed in your kingdom for the good of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Oh, what an incredible fulfillment comes when we have that, Father, when we realize I get to work for the best boss in the universes. Hallelujah. God Almighty is my Father, my Savior, my Redeemer, and He's my King and Lord, and He's the one who directs my steps. So I thank you for this people, Father. I really, really thank you that they're going to grow in strength and grow in faith and grow in grace. They're going to multiply. They're going to mature. They're going to walk into the fullness of what you called them to be because I refuse anything less in the name of Jesus. I refuse anything less in the name of Jesus. I like that phrase of that song, that other statement in that same song. All lesser demands will bow. All lesser demands on my life and on their life, they shall bow their knee and they will walk in the fullness of what God's plan is. And I prophesy that over you. You will walk in the fullness of God's plan by His work in your life. You will walk in that. I said you will walk in that because His love is more than enough to deal with it and to bring it to pass. In Jesus' name. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 